0: well hey there and welcome back to the show now as grateful as i am to be on the other side of 2022 and all of the growth opportunities it carried for me and my family i am even more grateful for the adhd supports that i had put in place beforehand before life got really challenging now the simple tools and practices i've put in place for remaining calm for staying healthy mind body and soul for the continued self-awareness so that i could pivot and adapt to change more easily for the clarity to help me make decisions and stay focused for the accountability to be more consistent and the loose rhythms that i've created around all of it that provide the support and flexibility that works for me and my family Now these supports didn't make the challenges go away, but they really did make it much easier to navigate. So if you haven't already, check out the ADHD supports guide I created to help make your life a little easier to navigate too. What I know about you is that unless it's interesting, important, and or exciting, you won't take the time for it. So I'm inviting you to consider yourself a detective as you discover the most effective combination of supports for your unique version of ADHD using the step-by-step guide. You can find the ADHD supports guide at visiondrivenmom.com forward slash ADHD supports one word, or you can find the link in the show notes. Now this week on the podcast, Dr. Emily King returns to the show and we talk about how to effectively collaborate with the school while keeping your child's needs at the forefront of all communication. We talk about helping your child identify their person, quote unquote, at school. We talk about communication boundaries. We talk about educating yourself on the IEP and 504 process in your school. And we talk about building trust in the IEP 504 team. Now, Dr. Emily is a child psychologist and former school psychologist who has spent the last 20 years working with neurodivergent children and teens, along with their families and teachers in schools and private practice. Dr. Emily has been on all sides of the IEP table, first as a school psychologist and then as a parent. She knows the feeling of thinking you are out of ideas to support your child. This feeling inspired her passion for helping parents and educators collect collaborate so that all students succeed. That's her life's work. So be sure to grab the ADHD supports guide at visiondrivenmomcom forward slash ADHD supports and enjoy the show. And you're listening to the Vision Driven Mom with ADHD podcast with Tracy Nolan Bierman, where we believe that you can have ADHD without ADHD having you. Each week, you'll hear firsthand relatable stories, as well as invaluable tips, tools, and practices for managing overwhelm and using your beautiful, unique mind as a superpower. Motherhood with ADHD is the journey of a lifetime. Let's enjoy the ride together. Well, hey, Dr. Emily, and welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Tracy. I'm super excited about this really, really important conversation that we're going to have today. But before we start, can you tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got to be doing what you're doing now? Absolutely. So I started out wanting to be a teacher. Um,
1: I was My mom was a teacher. I have an aunt that's a teacher. Um so I watched all of them growing up doing those those jobs. And I also really loved school. Um I actually initially thought I wanted to be a high school teacher. And now if I could talk to my younger self, I'll say, no, you really like to play with little kids. So I don't mm. know what you were thinking about <laughs> that. But Um, I started out, um, you know, I actually majored in English thinking I was going to be an English teacher and then pivoted to psychology when I took my first psych class. And then I discovered um, just where psychology and education merge with school psych. And um, so, I went through grad school um, in school psych and and worked as a school psychologist actually in Houston, Texas, in a large district there for five years before returning home to North Carolina and settling into private practice, which was better for my family at the time. And over the years, just have continued working with um, kids with pretty complex behavioral needs, which is like... The tip of the iceberg, as we know, right. and so I absolutely love just the detective work of figuring out where the behavior is coming from, and then with my background in learning and mm-hmm. evaluation and and ADHD and executive functioning, there's all. It's not usually only behavior or emotional dysregulation. A lot of times, right. there's skill weaknesses under there from an education standpoint. So. Um, you know, everything has just evolved over time and how I got into this and I'm I'm currently just really passionate about helping parents and teachers come together to fully understand what is underneath all of this for kids and it's mm. not just because they have autism or they have ADHD. Sometimes it's because of a mismatch of engagement and interest or curriculum that we need to flex a little bit to meet children where they are.
0: Right, right. That is beautiful. And I, I love how you have experience in all of the areas, right? As we're talking about this, this having this conversation with the school, school, um, home, uh, communication mm-hmm. that you are a parent with a child who has who has those needs you right um, i am you've been you have your background in education and as a counselor and so you have and your and your uh your practice so you come at it from all of these with a greater much greater perspective and a beautiful i absolutely i love everything that you put out dr emily i love on your instagram and facebook it just completely resonates and i love your big heart for um for these kids and for the parents and for the teachers so it's not just you know it's not just it's not just one i love all of it anyway that's a little side note yeah Um, well
1: i always say i've i've literally been on all sides of the iep table and i full disclosure i always tell teachers the the only hole in my experience is being in the classroom you know i've been in schools as um you know consultant behavioral consultants to teachers um but i always say up front look i am going to say an idea and i think it might work in theory but you be the first one to tell me if this is not going to fly in your classroom um right. because of whatever reason so I have, um, you know, that background of collaboration with teachers that I know coming in. Um, I, I could have all kinds of ideas, but um, I'm also not with that group of kids for the length of time teachers are every day, right. um, all day, and and so we ha- we can't make progress unless we collaborate on these ideas together.
0: Right. Yeah. Exactly. Perfect. And I. So and we'll talk about this a little bit at the end but you just came out with a um with a uh um a PDF that is an organizer can you tell us about that well, I definitely want to talk about that at the end too when we talk about how they can how listeners can find you but this this is something every parent with a child with any kind of needs, but especially our neurodivergent kids. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about this this um uh, this kind of guide that you created?
1: Yeah, I, I created this um guide. It's a free PDF download. It's it's 10 pages because it has a half of it's kind of like a glossary of all the different providers privately in schools and doctors' offices mm. that you may come across if your child is starting on this neurodivergent journey of either an ADHD diagnosis or sensory processing or an autism spectrum diagnosis. Because what I've found over time, you know, starting in the schools and then being in private practice, this is also different by location. So there's different nice. by you know, clinic, private practice, school, and it's different by county and by oh, wow. state. So okay. it's a really conf- it can be a really confusing framework for parents because they'll say, "Do I need a therapist? Do I need Do I need a psychiatrist? Do I need a psychologist?" There are multiple types of therapists, and and sometimes I'll meet with parents, and um, they actually have too many cooks in the kitchen. They have too many right. people, mm-hmm. and the kids are exhausted, and they are exhausted. And um, we actually don't need all those people. And parents are so relieved when I'm able to tell them that, you know, there there are multiple types of therapists out there. There are master's level therapists that are, you know, an incredible play therapist or social workers that only do therapy and don't have the testing experience. So you don't need Mm -hmm. a psychologist if you're only going to do um therapy because it's the psychologists that do the testing. So right. you know, just to get everybody up to speed, it's like a, a cheat sheet of who does what, because mm-hmm. I am often answering these questions. Um and I often found in my work in the schools that you are bound to really only share and say what the school can provide. And I get that. I understand that there are um, you know, there are funding things that you're making decisions on and saying this is what we can provide at school. But parents often wanna know everything, of course. You wanna know everything that you can do for your child. Right. Um, so in this, um, I call it the referral tracker. I have the glossary and then um, I have just a template for tracking all the phone calls and websites you look up, emails you send. Um, in every section of like mental health or um, occupational therapy or speech language therapy. Um, and basically it's and it's an exhaustive list. It may feel overwhelming, but if parents don't need, you don't, your child doesn't need necessarily all of those things. Right. Um, but it's, I wanted to put out there something that, because I get this question a lot, like parents want to be thorough. They want to feel like they're, turning over every stone so it's my way of saying like here's all the info and this will keep you organized um and i hope it's helpful for people because i i've like you said i i've been on this journey myself with one of my boys um and i've seen it from the school's perspective and from private practice um and i i hope that it's helpful for people
0: Mm -hmm. i absolutely i i wish i had it (laughs) a couple of years ago um and about 12 years ago too that was kind of the beginning but um but there are there was there was a period of time at least maybe a couple of months where we had as a family 5 hours of support a week mm-hmm. and that doesn't include the driving you know 25 minutes and 25 back um, to right. and from appointments. And it was, mm-hmm. it what you were right. It was completely overwhelming. We were mm-hmm. way over supported, but we kind of, and this is the, I, I, I I'm assuming this is an ADHD thing because this is the, because I have ADHD. But I go from having nothing or not enough to having way more than I could possibly need, <laughs> and then we had to make adjustments. But it would be for anyone who is in this place where they're just starting out or they're feeling like they are overwhelmed with all of the support that they have right now. Please reach out and reach out to Dr. Emily and and download this. I I really um, thank you for doing this. You're I thought welcome. Did you put it out like last week or something? I was like, yeah, it was yeah. been a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Fantastic. Fantastic. Okay. So um, as we're talking about school and um school and home communication, um where do we start? So and and I am I'm, I'm going to preface this by saying that I have in my um in my uh, ADHD community, I hear a lot of parents being advised to get a um an IEP advocate, which I totally understand because it's overwhelming, right? And I was a preschool teacher, so I have I have been in IEP mm-hmm. meetings as a teacher um and and as a um as a uh, actually we have 504s but um but as and as a parent um but it is overwhelming and it feels mm-hmm. like so much information and, and we don't always know, what to expect or what or what's right. possible right so right so can you talk a little bit about about that like where do we even start
1: yeah i think that um we have to begin first by what are the areas that you don't understand mm-hmm. because that's where your anxieties as a parent are going right. to lie and that is where your potential mistrust of other people will come from so i mean okay. just think about it like if you you know, have to, if you had to represent yourself in court and couldn't have a lawyer, you would be so anxious about that. And you probably wouldn't trust all the things going on around you. So the more information we have, of course, you know, the more empowered we feel, the more we trust the process. And that's one of the, one of the reasons I put out the resources I do is just to help parents understand it better. I do think it can be helpful to have an IEP advocate. and. If your child is pretty complex, so some of the more um, straightforward and again, it's all relative, but something straightforward would be like my child has ADHD and I need a 504 for extended time on assessments Um, and you're you're taking, you know, a a psych eval or reports from the pediatrician who's done rating scales and talking to the school team and everyone's in agreement like I don't think you need an IEP advocate straight out of the gate, but if your child is complex and you feel like this IEP meeting is going to be so long and needs you feel like you need someone by your side to answer your questions, because it does feel a little bit like you're buying a house. And the, you know, the finance people are there and the lawyer is there and they're speaking their language and it can be really confusing. So from an education standpoint of someone coming with you and asking the questions that maybe you didn't know to ask, Mm -hmm. absolutely. So what I caution parents with, though, is if you feel like you need an advocate to help you confront an IEP team or mm. if you feel like you meet with an advocate and they're very I'm gonna go in with guns blazing and we're gonna get everything you need for your child, that is a um, a way to s- honestly stress out the school team right. and it raises tensions. It, it there's just a lot of resistance. and what I've been in many, many, many IEP meetings over the year where the focus then shifts to being the the staff being scared of the parent or the staff Mm -hmm. feeling like oh, we have to figure out how to all get along and the minute that that happens the child's needs go on the back burner and we're talking about everyone speaking respectfully and everyone taking turns talking and things like that and so one of my greatest passions for just It sounds simple because when you really say it out loud, it's like, just can't we all get along, right? Right. Helping parents and teachers be able to collaborate. And the reason it's so hard is because it's so incredibly uh, just emotion-driven, right? The parent is mama-papa-bear mode. Mm -hmm. The teacher can also feel that about their students. You know, teachers worry about their students. Let's say your child is aggressive, Um, you know, you're going to have moments where you absolutely want to make sure your child's not getting repeatedly suspended and missing out on their education. But you also have to think about these are hard, very difficult decisions because we've got children or or staff that could be getting hurt. So there's no winner here. You know, there's no like right or wrong. It's just the more we can keep trust at the forefront, the more mm-hmm. we can keep, um, just under respect and understanding the process. Um, because I think that the minute that we don't understand what's going on, we get fearful and we buckle down and say, and maybe focus on something that's not actually the thing that we need to be focusing on, if that makes sense. So, right. um, I think starting with, educating yourself on the process and if your child is complex you may need an advocate to walk you through that um and sometimes your child's provider I'm a little bit of a unicorn out there because I have my school experience but right. sometimes like your occupational therapist or your speech pathologist will also have some school experience and they will they will know how this works and again mm-hmm. the school system is there to educate your child help your child socially in during the school day. And there are limits to what our schools are responsible for. And I think that is hard for parents to think through, um, so, so those are all, you know, questions that come up and can vary from district to district, because there's also, you know, differences in funding and difference differences in access to staff. Um, right. And right. this is especially true right now, because most schools in America are short stabbed and um, don't even have substitutes, which is totally throwing a wrench in all of the um, services that have been mandated by IEPs that need to be happening. So, right. that, you know, uh-huh. I didn't even
0: think about that. Well, that's true. Right, we have we're, we're kind of um, where everybody's stretched.
1: Yeah, everyone's stretched, so every the stress is going to be higher. And when the stress is higher, we we have to trust our team. Um, and so I always just recommend that parents start with um, at second from educating themselves, start with building that trust with mm. the teacher. Um, and helping, you know, at the beginning of the year, but also if you feel like you've gotten into the school year and you haven't done this yet, you know, let the teacher know you are here to support them. Um, and I think we're all pretty good at, at knowing, you know, we whatever we can do, whether it's our time or whether it's donating supplies um, or something behind the scenes. But also the teacher wants to know that you trust them and that you'll mm-hmm. let them know. I mean, that they will let you know when there is something going on. Right. Um, and this is tricky for teachers. When I speak to teachers, I let them know you need to build trust with parents because they are sending their baby to you for seven hours. And when their baby has a difference that might be overlooked, because, again, it's an invisible disability like anxiety or ADHD or executive functioning weaknesses, Um they need to know that you get their kid and that's the most important part of building trust. Um, so on both sides of helping each other understand and asking those questions of, you know, the, the diagnosis or the educational classification should be the first thing that you understand about a child, never the last thing. So let's say, Mm you know, you're talking to a teacher and they're like, well, I know they have ADHD. I got this. That should not be the end of that conversation. It should be, okay, what does your child's ADHD look like? Right. Explain to me what are the what are the things I might see in the classroom or a parent coming to a teacher and saying, you know, this is what's happening at home right before school with our anxiety and getting to school. I'd love to hear what happens at school because often those experiences are different. Kids, kids right. just are different at home than they are
0: at school. I remember that. I remember, I remember yep. seeing kids being dragged to the car, screaming where this one, this one child in particular, that, um, that at school all day, she was just, she just sat and did exactly what you asked her to do. It was it really interesting, <laughs> the mm-hmm. difference and like, Hey, mm-hmm. that is not the child that I've been with for seven hours today. Um, so what, how do you, how do you suggest approaching teachers at the beginning of the year and how do you what 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 do you what do you suggest on um on that initial you know it's the fresh start of the year and especially you know as we have um you and i have uh have kids in high school now so they have lots mm-hmm. of teachers so mm-hmm. what is your what's your suggestion on the in initial the first step in in uh gaining that trust yeah, this looks different at
1: different ages. Um, so, in elementary school, I off, let's assume that we're talking about a neurodivergent student. That you you need um, you need more than just the get to know me sheet that most elementary teachers have you fill out at meet the teacher. Um, you know, I've I've filled those out and then I'm like turning over on the back and I'll write a whole story. Right. Um, or I'll just let the teacher know I'm going to email you some bullet points because there's mm-hmm. some things that would be helpful for you to know. Um, and I think also assuming that we may have that issue going on at home, but letting the teacher know, and then assuming that it may not happen at school, you know, Mm. so letting that teacher be informed, but then letting them work out their relationship with your child, which will be different than your relationship with your child. Right. Right. Um, so I always suggest if there's something that needs to be more detailed, Um, to send that teacher an email, you know, don't corner that teacher and monopolize monopolize their time during meet the teacher. Um, You know, they've got lots of families to meet. Um, And I know that you know, t- teachers I talk to. And I think this is true of most of us right now. There are so many emails and I get that. So just mm-hmm. let let them know. I'm going to email you some bullet points of like, these are the things that um are relevant right now. Think about what's relevant to that teacher's learning mm-hmm. um, of that child this year. And so I also will tell teachers that, I mean, parents as they get older, their child gets older in elementary, start talking to your child about, third, fourth, fifth grade. What do you want your teacher to know Mm. and include that bullet point in your email? So these are the things I think will be helpful. And my child wants you to know this about them. Um, And then once you get into middle school, I always recommend you're emailing the team. You know, let's say they have four teachers in middle school and you're copying your child. So in middle school, that's a good idea. You are modeling self-advocacy. So I always tell parents and also tweens and teens when you advocate for your child, they're watching.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They understand that you go to meetings and the team is working on it, and, and you can come back to them and say, we worked it out, and I think this is going to be better for you now. But as they get older and they have a voice, as soon as they are able to explain what something feels to them, this you know, as soon as they're able to do that, we need to incorporate that into the conversation. Many schools start inviting kids to 504 and IEP meetings at sixth grade. Some mm-hmm. kids are ready for that, and some kids are not ready, right. depending on their their you know, communication and their anxiety level of being in a meeting with grownups. Some kids will like to write out a list and, and ask the parent to present it at an mm-hmm. IEP meeting. Just having the idea of there's a there's a problem-solving session for me to make right. school better for me is, the, is what you want them to know. And so, as you are copying them on these emails through middle school, and that could be beginning of the year, that could be in the middle of the year when when something goes sideways um in middle school is pretty sideways for it most happens, ADHD right. <laughs> kids and, and executive functioning weaknesses. And yeah, it is it is just a really hard time because you're managing so many classes and you are not um you're I mean, it's like the youngest your frontal lobe is gonna be, basically the least right. developed it's gonna be. And then the goal is by ninth or tenth grade, you know, this varies for all kids that they are sending the email at the Mm -hmm. beginning of the year, copying you or maybe not copying you, keeping you in the loop, so that you are scaffolding these things. And by high school, the goal is that you're their consultant in self-advocacy. You have brought them along this journey of like, you're advocating in elementary, you're kind of a coach in middle school. And then by high school, they are emailing teachers saying this is what works for me because usually by i know covid's thrown us off a little bit and our ninth graders are more like sixth and seventh graders executive functioning style right right now right but you know In terms of work habits and what works for them, we really want to start scaffolding and building that independence. Um, So when your child comes to you, because this this will happen, of course, because you've been doing the the advocacy work, and say, well, I need I need this to happen. I need you to email this teacher for me, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Say, huh? Well, why don't you give that a try? Or you sit down together and you draft the email together, but it's coming from their account and they're typing. These are this is a life skill for communication. Right. So. I know that is a completely long-winded answer to your question about getting to know the teacher but it's so important to to think about it big picture to build it as skills for your child and it's not just about building a relationship with your teacher it's about teaching your child how to build a relationship with their teacher because they will then go on in their life to have coworkers that they need right. to talk to, right. to, you know, to when they're working with people in any type of situation to be able to say, um, you know, I, I really need to record this meeting so I can go back and listen later or something like mm. that, you know, so Goodness. thinking about what yeah. they need, right? right. And, and it being really normalized.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I, know that's exactly what I because you gave us the different the different levels and um, that's exactly what that that's exactly what I what I asked for and I love that idea of teaching them the advocacy and I can totally see the difference in middle school and high school since I have Mm -hmm. one in middle school and I, I could just I could just I could just witness the difference it's like one day now, it wasn't one day, but it seemed like one day I had a um a, uh, you know, a, a middle schooler and then all of a sudden they switched to this person who is can advocate and who can't who needs some some consulting in like mm-hmm. the order of things and, and that kind of thing, you know, right. the executive function part of it. But I love that because absolutely. Can you imagine? I mean, and I'm thinking about myself as, you know, I've been decades. I, w- I was diagnosed as an adult um, with ADHD, but how much advocating I could have done for myself rather than feeling like I should, I should be able to do this. I should be able to do this And it, in it kind of shifting. You're, you're helping right. to shift that, um, that perspective. It's not, it's not that I can't. It's that this would be helpful. And it's, oh, I love right. that. I love the, right. the the practice, you know.
1: And that's why I always tell parents that, you know, going back to the IEP and the advocacy question, we don't want to model for our kids that we go into meetings, guns blazing, arguing or, con- right. you know, being really adversarial about things. Because is that how we want to teach our children to advocate for themselves? It's not because every time we have interactions like that. The other person shuts down. Nobody likes to go into a meeting like that. So I think our kids actually will, will come out of school with sometimes more practice with some of these negotiation collaboration skills than um, neurotypical kids, although they're doing it in other ways. You know, they're doing right. it through clubs and um, sometimes more social advocacy ways through um, activities. But I, I just think it's an opportunity for our kids to grow and to have insight and reflect on what they need Um, and that if we're going to, you know, promote neurodiversity and promote acceptance, we have to teach our kids how to
0: communicate that. Yes, exactly. I love that. That's beautiful. Now, um, we have been blessed with a middle school counselor who's been amazing my youngest absolutely trusts her will go to her Now it took you know it took a while for her for for that to happen um and she feels so she she actually goes to the goes to the um to the counselor first and they have an understanding and she it's just it's a beautiful relationship and i'm so grateful not Mm -hmm. everybody has that right so what if what if you what if you're in a school system or in a school and you don't necessarily you know maybe they don't buy into neurodivergence or i don't know what 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 do we what do we do then how do we how do we support yeah what can our listeners do when they when they don't feel when they don't feel like they necessarily have the support that they would love
1: yeah well and i always say you don't have it doesn't have to be the school counselor or the special education teacher. Um, It just has to be someone who has an open mind Mm. to get your kid and to learn about your kid. And so I would encourage everybody to think about your child's education team, all the teachers, the administrators. I mean, there are some kids that connect with a custodian, you know, it doesn't matter necessarily the education background. Mm -hmm. What does matter is that that child has a person person, at school. And the chills. That's yeah, beautiful. So right? One I think about um, when I talk to young kids, um, identifying who's your school person. Mm. And usually they know exactly what I'm talking about. It's okay. it's most of the time it's their teacher. Sometimes it's right. a TA. Sometimes it's a special ed teacher. Sometimes it's a counselor. Sometimes it's an assistant principal because they're getting in trouble a lot. But yet mm. that assistant principal isn't disciplining, but they're doing what we call, you know, restorative practices of like talking through what happened. Um, right you know, chances are there is one person. Mm -hmm. If there's not, then we've got to do some education. I mean, that's why I'm passionate about creating the teacher course that I made for teachers and and staff and administrators. You know, there should be at least one person in there somewhere that at least has an open mind to saying, you know, my kid gets so anxious when something is not flexible for them or we don't think outside the box a little bit. And so, you know, the main teaching point I have for anybody who, if a parent feels like they're not getting it Mm -hmm. is to keep coming back to, well, when my child is stressed, they can't learn. Mm, And that's just brain science, right? Right. That's just taking it back to the brain research that we know when Mm -hmm. we get overwhelmed and our nervous systems are busy going into fight or flight or protection mode, which many of our neurodivergent kids go into at, um, something that, we would think of as minor like forgetting something or the schedule being changed or there being a substitute you know they're still safe but their brain is going into the danger zone of i am i don't feel safe right. if a child is living in that space they can't learn and mm-hmm. educators want kids to learn right. so i always encourage parents to start there and to say i need you to to help me help my child's anxiety go down because they're not learning or they're resisting even coming to school or um, you know usually when a parent is concerned about something there's an issue that school is aware of like whether it's a behavior or refusal or a shutdown or whatever that's actually anxiety or actually if they're avoiding there's something going on um, to start there's a starting point there's Mm -hmm. a tip of the iceberg to start with um, and and so, you know, Mona Della Hook talks about this. Um, Lori Desaltos talks about this in terms of trauma in school. And so, those are two people to follow and read if you if you want more information, and and, and if you have a teacher or a school staff member that wants more mm-hmm. um, connections over um, compl- connections before compliance is Lori's book, and then behind, Beyond Behaviors, of course, is Mona's book. Most people know about that one by now.
0: Connections before behaviors. Okay, I don't know about that one before behaviors it's
1: connections over compliance
0: over compliance okay
1: is Lori's book over Mm -hmm.
0: compliance okay that's beautiful okay and i love that i love that that shift in perspective too and that shift in in asking for what you need and 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 the um about the nervous system right Mm -hmm. my Mm -hmm. child cannot learn when they're stressed it's a universal truth. So what can we do? Mm-hmm. I, I love that, 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 that little shift because it, it's, mm-hmm. it, it turns that like maybe finger pointing and right. it turns it around that, that it's, what can we do together? Right.
1: I, uh. I love, there's a meme out there. I, a, a image that I know I've seen on social media and I've reposted it as well of it's not you and the teacher against the, pro, I mean, you and the teacher against each other. It's you and the teacher against the problem. The problem Mm -hmm. usually is that something is mismatched with the child's skills and the expectations in front of them. Mm -hmm. And that could present in a variety of ways. And with complex kids there, no one person is going to be solving that. It is a team approach to hear all the perspectives all the different times of day, all the things that could be getting in the way, um, it's detective work Yeah, and we don't work alone and that we aren't successful when we work alone in those situations.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love that, I love that. And um, as a a mom with ADHD, like give me something important and interesting, like I'm gonna solve it. Yeah. (laughs) solve that problem. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So is there anything else that you can think of that would be really valuable for our listeners to consider as they um, as they continue to or begin communicating with the school?
1: Yeah. The only um, final thing we haven't talked about is boundaries. And Mm, I think that this is a really quick way to build trust build rapport with teachers is boundaries especially with communication Mm -hmm. so like i was saying before you know with the emails um letting teachers know that you want to share information but it's going to like when you're going to send it and it's going to be bullet points um and then asking the teacher when uh, is the best time for me to share information with you and Mm -hmm. how so many many teachers Um, are being encouraged not to give out their personal cell phones and to have um, time limits on when they are returning emails. I've seen that more often this year. I think administration, rightly so, is trying to protect the mental health of our teachers and the burnout that they're feeling. Right. So understand that if you, you know, some schools are are starting to have policies, actually, with like, Mm -hmm. if you email the teacher after five o'clock they're not going to reply until the next morning stuff like that um whereas it's kind of been the wild wild west for communication and teachers before which makes it tricky for them to set boundaries and um and sometimes parents don't know you know kind of when and how they can have access to the teacher so asking the teacher but then i also encourage teachers let parents know you know let them know that during the day you are with their kids and you are present. And so you won't be replying to emails during the day, or many um, schools will use um, communication apps and messaging apps that only teachers will communicate that way. And it helps teachers compartmentalize their energy and um, you know not having their, their notifications going off all day when they're trying to be present with our children. Right. So I think all of these things are important, especially when your child is more complex because there are more things to communicate about. Mm-hmm. But we need to do it in a way that works for the team um, and that we feel open to setting boundaries with um, and to not also when the boundaries with communication are clarified up front we don't slip into um, assuming things like, oh, the teacher's not getting back to me. They must assume I'm annoying them or they must, oh, my child is so difficult. That teacher doesn't even want to talk to me. Those are all assumptions and and likely not true. Um, When we think of it like a a business meeting, because it truly is, it's just, it gets so emotional because it's it's our kids. Um, But that teacher also is thinking about you know 20 25 other kids and so we have to respect that they um are balancing all of those needs as well.
0: Yeah, that is a really important um important point to make too. Um and that understanding that, you know, especially when our kids are in uh, middle school and high school, not only are those teachers communicating because I know my my middle schooler communicates all the time through email with, um, mm-hmm. with uh, through uh, Google Classroom. I mm-hmm. think they, they're constantly um, sending emails back and forth. So if they miss an email, it's probably not because they're trying right. to avoid us. Um, right. It's probably because they're busy. <laughs>
1: Yeah. But when you are overwhelmed and worried about your child and hypervigilant about their progress, our brains quickly go into these assumptions. And so the more structure and trust we can have in place with communications and boundaries and relationships with our team, you know, the better we're going to get along. And and we have to have this foundation of trust if we are ever going to solve these complex problems for
0: our kids. Right. I, 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 we keep coming back to that, but that we, when we are and and this, so the, the, uh, the stress, like you talked about earlier, that when we come in with our, you know, with our, with our fists up, you know, like Mm -hmm. we're going to battle with the team, it sets everybody up and it's energetic, right? It sets everybody up for defense. Or right. or you know sends us into that into that uh, fight or flight mm-hmm. part of our nervous mm-hmm. system. Nothing happens. Nothing good right. happens. Right. And think about like sometimes we think, okay, well, this is my hour, right? This is my hour <laughs> right. where we're going to be able to. So if we go into them, we blow the hour, and we don't. Like right. if we can. I, I guess what a thought that I have is maybe we. Take a couple of breaths and mm-hmm. like really be intentional about what we want to say and, and what we want to get out of the, mm-hmm. the uh the communication.
1: Yeah. And sometimes with kids who are are complex and the we actually it actually is really good for the team to meet outside of an IEP meeting. The mm. IEP meeting is a you know a mandated meeting with a certain amount of people there, certain roles are there, certain topics need to be discussed, and then there right. are topics that don't need to be discussed mm-hmm. outside of an IEP meeting, sometimes like communication or or just creative solutions. And then right. we meet in the IEP meeting just to get it all on paper and check all right. the boxes and the system and all those things. So I always encourage parents to ask the teacher too, can this be a conference? Can this be a teacher conference mm-hmm. or does this need to be an IEP meeting? We don't need an IEP meeting t- unless service delivery or goals are going to be changed. So, if that you is are huge,
0: huge. yeah, if huge you are just you're wanting, right
1: if you are just wanting to ask if your child can choose a different topic for a, a book report because they, they won't can't do this one because it's not their interest and you know they can thrive, that is just a teacher question. That you would, I think we often will go down a rabbit hole of like my my kid has a disability, so they have an IEP, so all the questions have to go in this IEP meeting, and that's actually not true. So when you put so much pressure on yourself to get everything done in that one annual IEP meeting, of course you're stressed. So think about what can be done outside, um, and then you have so many opportunities to collaborate with the teacher when um,
0: you know you don't have that time pressure. Right, I love that. Bam. Okay, <laughs> that's beautiful. That's really helpful. I think that does take a lot of the pressure off, too. Mm-hmm. Dr. Emily, this has been a fantastic conversation. Every, I mean, everything that you um, that you uh, that you offer is um, just brilliant, and I completely am um, very grateful for you. Oh, well, thank you for having me. I I love getting these messages out in the world. Absolutely. So can you tell us a little bit about how our listeners can find you? And I know that you have, and it's not a, it's not necessarily a pivot. What you talked about um, earlier is that you've kind of included teachers in, in the, uh, in the conversation. Can you tell us a little bit about all of that?
1: Yeah, so you can read more about my work outside of my psychology practice at learnwithdoctoremily.com. There are resources there for parents and for teachers. Mm. And um, I encourage everyone to stay and read and listen. Um, you will, if you're on my newsletter list, which you can join at my website, um, I have a Substack as well where I write weekly blogs. Sometimes my um, my blogs and, and my content will be geared towards teachers and stresses that they have. And sometimes it will be geared towards parents, but that's intentional. The purpose of that is that I want everyone to hear each other's perspective. And I think Mm -hmm. if we continue only speaking to parents or only speaking to teachers, we just perpetuate this divide. And so I try to talk about both in some conversations. I, you know, of course, like this time of year, we're seasonally talking about parents being home with kids. I mean, there'll be seasons of things I talk about, but um, I also have two free resources um, for teachers. It's called a regulation roster where you're learning your kids' emotional regulation at the beginning of the year. And that's it, com slash roster. And, um, and then I, my wait list is open for my teacher course, which will um, be available again in the summer, next Great. summer, 2023. And then for parents, they can get the referral tracker at learnwithdremmily.com slash tracker. And then the wait list is also open right now for my revised parent course, which um, has been around for a few years, but I'm going to be revising it in early 2023. And it is a self-study course for parents who have just received a diagnosis, who are new to the journey of raising a neurodivergent child but also if you're a few years in and you still feel like you want to learn more I take you through all my most commonly answered questions as a child psychologist in terms of you know parenting kids differently from um you know kind of finding that middle ground between nurturing and independence that we're always right. striving for as parents um <laughs> as well and um and you know, just go on my newsletter list and you will not miss a thing if you join that. And just, um, I send out a weekly email with all the things that I'm doing.
0: Okay, perfect. And definitely um, check Dr. Emily out on uh, Instagram too. I love- Oh, right. So most of the things are on
1: Instagram. Yeah,
0: you you provide some really amazing- um, Amazing things to ponder as well as some powerful. I mean, that, that's why I saw that you had the roster the was at the the building your the tracker. team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the tracker. Yeah. Perfect. And
1: thank you for your work because so many parents that I work with realize because of just the differences in the field and the research in our education, they realize in their in their 30s and 40s when their children are diagnosed, they realize that they oh. they're neurodivergent and they <laughs> think wow this is why <laughs> school was so hard for me or i'm i'm you know so stressed at work or whatever those things have been so i talk to so many parents who you know come across my resources and um re- realize
0: that they're learning more about themselves as well right right yes that is across the board and <laughs> in, in, in for the the uh the moms that are listening Um, But Dr. Emily, thank you again. Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing your brilliance. And um, I'm I'm sure that we'll have you back on again. I would love to come back. (laughs) All right. Perfect. Goodbye for now. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Vision Driven Mom with ADHD podcast. Now one thing I know for sure is that managing ADHD is not a one-stop shop. There are so many tips, tools, practices, treatment options, and lifestyle accommodations to consider. It's easy to feel overwhelmed and wonder where in the world to start. If you're nodding your head yes, then you'll want to check out the free ADHD Supports Guide. It's a super simple step-by-step guide that keeps your ADHD brain engaged because it's interesting, it's important, and sometimes even a little exciting. I invite you to consider yourself a detective as you discover the ideal combination of supports to help you remain calm, be more consistent, Stay focused on what's important. Shift out of overwhelm and other big emotions more quickly. Make decisions more easily and develop more confidence all while becoming more of the person you know yourself to be. Download the guide at visiondrivenmom.com forward slash ADHD supports or find the link in the show notes. I truly believe that you can have ADHD without ADHD having you. Goodbye for now.